Hey, uh, confession of a, of, a, of a Bloomington pastor here. I've been a pastor in Bloomington now for 21, 2, I don't know how many years. Actually, there's someone here this morning who was actually on the search committee for a job I got 24 years ago. So, yeah, yeah, we were, I was, she was 10 and I was 10 then. I started young. Um, but typically, in the summers, if churches in Bloomington, you know, school year is buzzing because everybody's here, college students are here, and it's buzzing. June and July, it's kind of like, and I used to be a college pastor for 10 years. June and July, it's kind of like, yeah. So typically, I'll speak for other pastors, but I'll definitely speak for me. Sometimes summers feels like a time to go on cruise control as a pastor. Because it's like, okay, school year's over, let's just um, maintain and survive the summer. Um, because typically, it feels a little... Honestly, if you've been around Bloomington, it feels a little flatter in the summer. Yeah, you can drive it wherever you want to, but church feels a little bit smaller, flatter, or whatever. And so that's what I was planning for this summer, just to kind of find something to teach through through June, teach through, through July, and, and then ramp up when all the energy returns. And I really felt like God, and I'll use this word, I felt like God rebuked me on that, because I felt like God said, well, can I not still work in the summer? And, and it was funny, but it's sad, and I thought, well, no, yeah. And I feel like God said to me in some form, can I have June at least? And so what we're going to do this month, and I really feel like God was kind of challenging me, like don't, don't give in to the, uh, the cruise control. So the month of June, here's what we're going to be doing. Uh, go to the next slide. I think maybe the next one and the next one. Yes. The next five Sundays, we're going to do what, we, what I'm calling Exodus Prayer Experience. So I'm going to teach a little bit, and we're going to pray in a lot of different forms. It's going to be more participatory, um, involved, and if you're new, that's okay. It may be a little stretchy and awkward, but it, it, that's okay. We're not going to embarrass anybody, um, but we're going to pray, all right? And we're going to talk about that for the whole five weeks of June. Usually over the side over there, we have a we're sign over that door that says prayer room, and at the end of the service, we ask for the people who want to go over there and have prayer. For the month of June, this is the prayer room, and we are the prayer team, all right? This is the prayer room. Like, you know, I often, I often say we're the choir, they're the band, but we're still the choir. So we're the choir, but we're also the prayer team. Everybody here can pray. There's not one of us here that can't pray for someone else. And we're going to be focusing on praying for others in that sense. If you were here, uh, and at the three words I use to describe it, let's go back for a second. Fresh, disruptive, and practical. That's the, that's the objective for this month. We want all of us to have a fresh experience with, under, with God, a fresh, a fresh belief about what God can do in our lives and through our prayers. We believe it's going to be, I, I, I'm hoping it's disruptive. I'm already feeling disrupted because I don't like changing things around. Um, but I'm hoping that God will disrupt your life of prayer during the month of June. I'm hoping whatever your pattern is of praying for yourself or others, whether you have a pattern or don't have one, I'm hoping God will disrupt it. And I'm hoping you'll allow him to disrupt it. I'm hoping you'll even change something just to give God some space to do something different. So if you're in a regular habit of praying in the morning or whatever, change chairs. Go do something else. Do something different. Read a different book. Start from a different book of the Bible. If you're not in the habit of praying on a regular basis or if you don't pray for others, start doing something that's going to push you. So this month is going to be a disruptive, fresh, and I hopefully, and I plan for it to be really practical. Because every one of us here are real people who have real lives and we're rather ordinary. And we don't need conceptual truths that are going to be practiced by uh, monks who live in caves in the desert. That's not our lives. 
We have, we're people who have jobs and have cars and have kids and have, you know, flat tires and things like that. So we're hoping to, I'm hoping, I'm planning for it to be really practical. If you were here last week, uh, we actually had a video sermon. And if you weren't here, I, it's a YouTube. I've sent the link out to people. If you haven't had a chance, get the link and watch it. Jim Simbola, 1994, he gave a sermon called, My House Should Be Called a House of Prayer. And it was a real challenge for the church to be, the church in America, to understand ourselves more about a uh, people of prayer. If you weren't here, again, I, I, I really encourage you to watch it. It's a YouTube, like 50 minutes. It's the only video I've ever used in a church service, and I've used it like in four different churches I've been a part of. I think that highly of this particular video. Um, so it's from 1994, and I was six years old then. So, <laughs> no, not really. All right, here's where we're going to go today. Start the next slide here. I'm going to start today because we're going to talk about, again, we're the prayer team, and I want to give a frame for how I want us to understand that. And I'm talking about even you, not just praying for yourself, but maybe God wants you to pray for your spouse in a different way. Maybe he wants you to pray for neighbors. Maybe he wants you to pray for coworkers. Maybe he wants you to let them know you're praying for them in a way that doesn't feel like it's religious or weird, but genuine. And again, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what you should do. What I'm telling you, I'm asking you to be open to what the Spirit asks you to do. So, so to start this, this uh, whole thing off in Mark chapter 10, I'm just going to read this story. Some of you may know the story, and if you don't, um, it'll be pretty self-explanatory. This is a story about, this is Jesus, and he's heading from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he's heading into the week where he's going to be crucified, suffered, die, resurrected. So that's the timeline. Jericho to Jerusalem is not a, not a real long walk, 20 miles or so. So they reached Jericho, and this is Mark chapter 10, verse 40. They reached Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples left town. A large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which means the son of Timaeus. The word bar in the Jewish religion means son of, so Bartimaeus is son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. All right, let's stop for a second. The beggar in those days, a blind person in those days, blind person in these days is not, has a lot of uh, huge obstacles. Blind person in those days had huge obstacles, capital H, capital O, 28-point font, all right? Begging was the way they had to survive. There was no Social Security. There weren't, like, social programs, special schools. So Bartimaeus is in a bad situation, and the word I'll use is desperate, all right? When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because he's on the side of the road. He didn't know if Jesus even would know he's there or see him. But he starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, no, actually, I forgot a line. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. Stop it. You're you're disrupting the, the whole, this is Jesus. He's got things to do. Be quiet. You're a blind man. You don't count. But he only shouted louder. I love this guy's kind of boldness. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and he came to Jesus. So he must have been attracted to the sound of his voice. 
And then I love, 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 love the question Jesus asked this man. It confuses me and intrigues me, but I love it. Because he went to this man and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And I was going to say, he looked him in the eye, but the guy's blind. So, come on, Jesus. He's blind. What do you think he wants? Food? Water? A religious teaching? But Jesus asked that, I think... Because there's something about us being honest with telling Jesus what we need that we know we can't do for ourselves. And of course, the blind man says to Jesus, I want to see. I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. The question I want to frame us as the prayer team this week, next week, the next few weeks, the next few months, the next few years, the rest of your life, is around this question, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And I'm asking you right now to think about how you would answer that question. And I mean that in the sense of what do you believe Jesus can do for you that you know you cannot accomplish and you've tried? Maybe there's some issue in your own life Maybe there's some uh, habit, pattern, part of your character. You're just like, I can't get that changed. So I'm not asking the Santa Claus question, like, what do you want Santa Claus to give you? It's not that kind of a question. It's what do you want Jesus to do for you? Here's some possible answers. Possible, possible. Maybe you might say, if if you can't come up with anything, maybe you might say, well, I want to grow in... Joy. I want more joy in my life. I asked, I asked this question to a group of people uh, a few weeks ago, and it seemed like joy and peace were something. I, just, I want peace. Uh, there's stuff going on in my life, and I want peace. Maybe you might, maybe you might say a physical healing issue. Maybe you just want guidance in your life. You're, you, you, you see six roads ahead of you, and you're not quite sure which to take, if any of those. But what is it that if Jesus came to you and stood in front of you and said, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? Because it requires some degree of some degree of being a little bit in touch with some degree of your own desperation. And we don't like that work. None of us want to be seen as desperate people. But and, and some degree of humility. Because you have to say, you know, this is, this is what I need. And again, you can be as general as one of those fruits of the spirit or physical healing and guidance. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get back in the groups you were just in. And I want everyone to answer this question to the rest of the group. And you might think, well, I don't even know these people. They don't know me. They don't know my story. It's okay. We don't have like five years to do that right now. And sometimes we use those honestly. Those are excuses we use as to why we don't want to pray. And again, I'm not trying to shame anybody or embarrass anybody. But just be honest. Because you're being honest right now before God with others present. All right? So once you, it, short answers. Short answers. They don't, don't. This is not the time to tell your life story. We want to hear it sometime, but um, what is it you would want Jesus to do for you? When everybody has their chance, then I want you to pray, and I want at least one person, maybe two people in the group, to pray that we would trust that Jesus will do what we've asked him to do. Not, even, not long prayers either, short prayers. Don't, don't pray around the world. Don't pray for missionaries in China. Don't pray for the homeless people who don't have food. Pray that Jesus, that we would trust Jesus 
that he will do what he said he'd do. All right? I got that one? So get back in those groups. Reacquaint yourself quick, quickly but not fastly. Everybody answer the question. And then, some, then uh, jump into prayer. And then in about four or five minutes, we'll come back together. So answer that question and then pray for one another. People that I didn't know would want it, and I would say to them, and of course, I'm a, even, even if they don't know I'm a pastor, I'll say, well, could I, could I pray for you for that? Nobody has ever said to me, most certainly not. Most people are pretty grateful, especially people who have no connection with God. So there may be a time this week where you kind of sense God saying, ask this person what you could pray for, and even use that question, How, what, 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 what would you want Jesus to do for you? Just plant that in your thoughts and let the Holy Spirit put an exclamation point on it in 24-point font sometime during the week and you step out and do that. Another thought with that, because I think when we wrestle with that question, Jesus, what do you, or when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? In the book of Acts, Peter and John were heading on their way to the temple to pray. Regular prayer gathering. No special kind of emotion of that day. And if you know the story, it's in Acts chapter 3, I think. There was a, 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 a crippled man alongside of the road who was begging. So this crippled man who was a beggar, all he knew, the only thing he knew to say that he, that he was expressing that he wanted was money. All right? That's what he thought he wanted, and that's what he thought would solve part of his dilemma. Peter and John came by. And Peter had this strong sense from the Holy Spirit, and he said to this man who thought his desire was money that would satisfy his immediate need, and Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy jumped up, and he danced. Here's the point. The very thing you're telling God, Jesus, you want him to do for you, that may not be big enough. This man thought what he needed was, I needed some coins to make it through the day. And I was just talking to somebody earlier today, and they said, well, I don't even know what else that is that I would, that I really need. But maybe you just tell Jesus, well, Jesus, this is what I think I want from you, want you to do for me. But Jesus, whatever you, whatever you th know that I need, I want that. I want that more than I want this. If I'm asking for a cookie and you have a cake for me, give me the cake, please. I don't even know that. See what I'm saying? So even as you wrestle with God, with Jesus asking you, what do you want me to do for you? Realize you're going to say, this is what, I, like I, I just told somebody, I, I want more peace in my life. Well, that's what I think I want. That's what I know I want more. Maybe there's, maybe there's some other way God needs to get there that's going to be give me greater, much more than I thought I needed. All right? So that's, that's, uh, that's the question of the week. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Okay. Now we're going to, in the same kind of spirit, every week we're going to have a different video from a different pastor in Bloomington, and we've asked them, not this exact question, but the same kind of question, how can we pray for you as a pastor? How can we pray for your church? Now, 
uh, and this one is from Doug Schroeder from Emanuel Baptist. Every week we're going to have a different one. And let me challenge you because this is what I'm wrestling with right now too. It's like, okay, so if we pray, like right now we just prayed for each other. Is anything going to be different in any of our lives because of what, just what we did? Do we really believe that? Well, theologically, of course, we have to say yes. That's the right answer on the test, yes. And I just remember uh, on the website, and Dan said it before, had used this phrase, what happens here changes the world or something like that. I believe just what we did will change the next week and the next month and the years for, for our lives. What we've just done, we've asked God to intervene in our own private, personal, ordinary life histories and change things. I believe what, he's just, what we've just done will do that. So when we pray for Doug Schroeder and Emmanuel, the same thing. So let's just watch this video. This is Doug Schroeder from Emmanuel Church. We asked him to give a little, give a little bit of story about his church first. So, got it? Here we go. Stand up, and I'm gonna need, uh, I need somebody who's the digit of their age, first digit is a six. Anybody? Somebody. All right, here we go. I want you, this is Christy. I want Christy, I want you to pray that Pastor Doug Schroeder would finish strong okay. in his ministry. All right, so this all is right. Christy praying for us. Okay, 
God, uh, we are asking you that um, Doug Schroeder be able to end his ministry um, strong. In, in your name we ask, amen. Amen. Now, I want everybody else here, as we're standing, uh, I want you, uh, I want everybody to pray out loud enough so you can hear, and we're all going to pray at the same time. You can whisper, you can talk louder. I want you to pray things like, for the, Eman the people of Emmanuel Church, things like, Jesus, would you, would you allow them to show Jesus to their neighbors? Would you allow them to show love to their family? Would you allow them to show Jesus to their people at work? All right? Whatever comes to mind, short phrases, all at once, all together, should be like a low mumble war, let's pray. All right? Pray for the people of Emmanuel Church. God, we pray that you would give the people of Emmanuel, show them the love of Jesus. And we pray that you would show Jesus to them through them. Everybody turn to your right and face that direction. I think that's where the Emmanuel Church building is. Stretch your hands out that way. Jesus, uh, we are going to pray that the people of Emmanuel even gathered this very morning on their property off of that road. I pray that you would... I pray that you'd pour out your spirit on them. Pray that you'd pour out your spirit on Doug Schroeder, but on every single person in that building, whether they're a baby or whether they're 60, 70, 80, 15, 25, whether they have a job or don't, whether they're educated or not, whatever their status in life is, Jesus, you said you can pour your spirit out on all people, all genders, all socioeconomic statuses, whatever. I pray that out of that church, the spirit would have his free reign, and that Jesus would become uh, spotlighted through the men and women and girls and boys of Emmanuel Baptist Church. And we ask this all um, in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, just with regard to that, the video we just saw, and this, I don't have like all kinds of mystical moments or anything. Not any more than the rest of you do. I think sometimes we don't always know it. And I think I told you a couple weeks ago about this song I've been listening to lately, this Korean song <laughs> called Come Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, a, it's an American song, because I sang it when I was a teenager in a youth group competition, and we were national champions, by the way. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, and it was in a church that really didn't believe the Holy Spirit was active, so it was kind of an interesting song. But the song is, you know, Come Holy Spirit, dark is the hour. But it's this, all, I couldn't find anywhere on the internet, but I could find this Korean choir singing in Rome. In this cathedral, and, it's, it's, and I, list, I listen to it three times a day on my phone. I play it through my car stereo. I don't know the words. I have no idea what their words are. I know what they're saying, though. And I was playing this song last night when I was driving home from somewhere. I can't remember where I was driving from. And I, this happens to a lot of you. I'm sure it does. I envision a choir, and I envision Doug Schroeder and Tom Ellsworth from Sherwood Oaks singing in this choir, singing this Korean song over Bloomington. And I thought, God... Our heart is Bloomington. We need a... It, Bloomington, the Spirit of God, will not have influence in Bloomington simply because of the people in this room. It's going to be the, every single church who proclaims Jesus and who welcomes the Holy Spirit. So when we pray for these churches, whether it's Doug Schroeder, Tom Ellsworth, whether it's Red Door or First Presbyterian Church, whatever church we pray for, it's because we believe that if God begins to move in them and move in us, we can change the course of history in Bloomington, Indiana. We can change the course of the lives of those you, people you work with and you live next to. People that have never been to church their whole life or haven't been to church for years that you know that you think they'd never come to church. 
And success is not for those people to come here. Success might be they end up connected to other churches. If people connect with God and the Holy Spirit, that's success, whether it's here or not here. All right? Now, um, the, the last thing I want to talk about this morning, and this was I had a variety of things I was thinking through, but one of them that just kind of weighed on my heart yesterday as we we're thinking about praying, go to the one, uh, Luke, from Psalm 66. And uh, Christine, I'm asking him up here and, and play. This, we're, this is just going to be alone time because one of the things that God says clearly in his word is that he doesn't even listen to our prayers if we cherish sin in our hearts. And the rest of you are human like I am. I know there's people in this room. I know all of us, there's a good chance that there's people in this room, myself included, I may not even be aware, that, that there's something in our life that we're cherishing that is standing in the way of our relationship with God. And we've perhaps... Uh, comfortably kind of douse it around with some kind of other kind of gauze or whatever so we don't think it's a big deal. But God says, no, that's keeping me from you. And what God says, I don't even hear you if that's what's in your life. If you've got some issue that you're cherishing and the whole sense is you're kind of, you're nurturing it, you, it's kind of like your little pet almost. So I'm just going to, and this is not assuming that if things aren't going around in your life, there must be sin in your life. That's not, that's not at all what God says. But what God does say is, at least check. Maybe there's something you need to be aware of in your life that God's saying, I want you to give it up and let go of that. Because God, what God's saying is, I want to hear your prayers. I don't want to hear them. I, I want to hear them and I want to do what you ask me. But I can't if there's a block. All right? So why don't you close your eyes. And uh, Christina's going to pray, pray. And, uh, you know, the psalm is, if, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The prayer of David in a similar situation was, God, search me, O God, and know my heart. So, Holy Spirit, would you search each one of us, beginning with me and everybody here, for the next few minutes. Would you bring to light anything in our hearts that you're say, telling us, you got to deal with that. So now just listen to what the Spirit's saying. God says in his word in the book of James, keep your eyes closed, just listen for a second, is uh, confess your sin one to another so that you will be healed. Now, we're not going to do that here. I'm not going to bear our sins to each other. But I'm asking you to do this. If there's something that God has brought to light in your life and you can't seem to let go of it or you've tried... I'm going to ask you to talk to somebody about it because there's something about the way that God's created us as people that human confession makes a solid confession before God. So you don't ha- it doesn't have to be with me or Pastor Dan Hendricks. It doesn't have to be with a priest or a pastor. It can be. We're open to listening to you. It may just be a good friend of yours. It may be your spouse. But there's something really, really good, desperate, and life-giving about confessing a sin to another and asking for them to pray for you. And then what Jesus, what God tells us, and you will be healed. Your soul will be whole again. So don't discount anything God's brought to your mind this morning. Don't, and I'm going to pray, that, and we're going to pray that God keeps bringing that to your mind. 
Because his desire, Scripture tells us, is he longs to be attentive to our prayers. And again, please hear me. I'm not saying if God's not hearing you, there must be sin in your life, so dig it out and find it. But if he exposes it to you, deal with it. Because if we want God to hear our prayers for us, our families, for Bloomington, for Doug Schroeder and Emmanuel Baptist, um, we want him to pour out his spirit on our community and our families, there needs to be an open, uh, open passageway with God. So God, I pray that your spirit would, uh, over all of us, we know you hover over us, not like a police car who's trying to catch us speeding, but you hover over us as one who's leading us to freedom and life and abundance and goodness and joy. That's what you want for us. So God, whatever's in the way in that of our lives, would you expose that to us? Whether it's pride, whether it's fear, whatever it is, God, we don't want to play Christian anymore. We don't want to play church anymore. We want to be the kind of people through whom you can do what you said you would do, and that's you would do greater things through us than even what you did when you were here on earth. And that blows us away to think about that. But you said you would. So we want to be those kind of people And we want you, God, to be incredibly gentle, but also incredibly ruthless in getting to that part of our hearts that we want to be free. And we know you want us to be. And um, we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Uh, Amen. Here's what we're going to do now. We're going to go ahead and take communion. Christine, stand up and stay up here. And and Jeremy, I want us to sing uh, the the song we finished with earlier, All Stand, during communion, because I want communion to be... uh, Sometimes, we, sometimes with communion, at least where I grew up in some of your churches, you grew up with a sense that communion is supposed to be like really somber and really kind of, uh, you're supposed to feel pain all over again. Like that's what Jesus wants to remember. But what Jesus said he wants us to remember, do this in remembrance of me. It's, no, let's remember the promises that he gave to us that he would set us free. The promises that he came to give us life and have it more abundantly. We're not supposed to read, we're not... It, we don't take, Jesus didn't want us, he, he didn't want us to remember this. Now remember, I went to the cross and I got whipped, and it's your fault, so you better remember that. That's not at all what he's saying with this. What he's saying is, remember what I came to do for you. Regardless of those things in your life that you're dealing with and trying to get away from, this is still an open table for anyone who would want more of Jesus in their life, all right? So let's stand up, and uh, there'll be people here in the middle and two of the side aisles like we do often. If you're uh, new here, what we do is you can come on up whenever you want to. We offer you the bread, tear off a piece of bread, offer you the cup, dip it in the cup. Most people take it here. Some people take it back in their seats. Um, but let's, uh, let's sing, and let's celebrate what Jesus said he promised us. All right?